This is Soccer Weekly ESPN LA 710. Hello, I am Dave Denholm. Welcome to another week of really just world football here on the world stage, on the home of world football each and every week, ESPN LA 710. Back on our regular Wednesday, although regular is a little bit, you know, you know how it is, right? you got to follow me on social media at Talk Soccer. I let you know where we're living. And where we're living now is in first place if you're LAFC, right? Okay, technically... We worry about goal difference and all that stuff, but early in the season, they're on a full six points. Technically, they're in second in the West because of the Sounders. But more importantly, LAFC off to a perfect, perfect start. LA Galaxy will not have a perfect season. That ended in Dallas on Saturday, so we'll break those down. The issue for LAFC was, remember when I was talking, and you know, look, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan when it comes to the NFL, So you know I'm always a little looking over my shoulder, and I'm always nervous. But when it comes to LAFC, I was nervous coming into the season. We talked about it on this show. The scheduling, tough games early in the campaign, always that sophomore slump possibility, which does exist in sports. And, you know, just everything went well. There was, you know, of course the Mark Anthony K injury hurt. There was Eduardo Tuesta missed some time. There was injuries, but... Overall, it was a pretty clean season for LAFC, right? Granted, they didn't get where they wanted to in the playoffs, and maybe that was a good, I guess, harbinger for what was to come that I just didn't see enough of. Maybe that did motivate them more than I thought, because I was worried about how LAFC would get off to the start this year. Not that they were going to have trouble the whole... No, too good, too talented. But I didn't think it was going to be, quite frankly, this smooth. LAFC come out against Portland Timbers, a team that gave them nothing but trouble last year, just like Sporting Kansas City had done. And in the first two weeks, they get wins over Sporting Kansas City and now Portland. And this one, well, we all know what happened. 4-1, by now you know what happened. 4-1, and it was the Carlos Vela show. And I tweeted out something in response to a buddy of mine, a good friend, Keith Costigan, who... I worked with at Fox Soccer. He also happens to do Seattle Sounders television locally up there. And he was just talking about how special Carlos Vela was in a quick tweet. And I tweeted out something in response that I I do want to follow up with here. Carlos Vela had a magnificent game. No surprise. He's been doing that since he got here last year. But what should, not should surprise people, but what people should know, and I said it, is that we're seeing this guy do stuff that I have never seen done in MLS. Now you're wondering what? What could that be? Stats. People have scored in in buckets of goals. We saw Joseph Martinez do that. Assists. People have had more assists than Carlos Vela had last year and, and probably will this year. It's not about that. It's not just the stats. It's the domination in just the most subtle ways. And it's hard to explain to a certain degree unless you have seen it in action, then you'll know what I'm saying a little bit more. Now, any of you listening here, the vast majority of you have likely seen what I'm talking about with Carlos Vela. But I'll try to explain it. The subtle movements with and without the football on his foot and when it's really near to him or when he needs to make some space, it's just otherworldly. It's world class. We're talking at the highest level. We have not seen somebody move like this guy does in MLS before. Had some great players in the league. Have some great players in the league. 
Some unbelievable talent is making its way through MLS. If you're missing it, you're missing out. But there is nobody more talented than Carlos Vela in MLS. Nor has there ever been. Doesn't mean he's the best player to ever play here. Not necessarily, no. But I'm talking about those subtle little things. Just the deftness of touch. The quick movements around defenders. Time and time again, even when they know what's coming. Right? He did that to Portland and Sporting Kansas City in the first two weeks. It had to have been ten times already. Ten! And we're all watching the same film on this guy. There's nothing new about Carlos Vela. He's not 18. And there's nothing they can do but hack him down time and again. And time and time and time again. He's now been fouled eight times in the first two weeks. And quite frankly, he's been fouled about 28 times. Because the referees can't call it every time. But to their credit... So far, they're protecting Carlos Vale a little bit better this year. Now, maybe that's been Bob uh, Bob Bradley chirping in their ear about it, which a good manager does, and Bob Bradley does, to try to get the calls. Maybe. Maybe they watched film in the offseason and knew how bad he got beat up. LAFC was the most fouled team in MLS last year, and that was due in no small part to Carlos Vela. It also has to do with the way they play. So other people are still going to get fouled, time and again, but it's just when they start protecting him, and they, I mean the referees, look out. Diego Chara, see ya. For the second week, the opponent of LAFC, someone received a second yellow and was sent off. That is a good sign. Not going to happen every week. We don't want it to happen every week, honestly, on some level. But it is good that the referees are sending that tone so other teams are going to realize that. And then they just won't be able to do what they've tried to do. Now, in fairness, as we talked about even the pregames, right? Sporting Kansas City and Portland are like that. That is their style. So there's a little bit of that going on in the first couple of weeks. NYCFC is a new beast in a lot of ways. The matchup coming up. We'll talk more about that one coming up. But what Carlos Vela is doing, the, the littlest of touches around people, just to, to the, the, the tiniest touch to get around or at least to open up some space for his teammates, for himself to make run. It's just unbelievable. His finishing is great. Look, there is a reason the rumors were flying about him going to Barcelona, and they were not hyperbole. It Maybe it was never going to happen. Maybe the rumors were out of place in terms of the specifics. Carlos Vela can play anywhere. And he's playing in your backyard at Bank of California Stadium. It is a thing of beauty. Oh, by the way, Christian Ramirez gets a goal. Mark Anthony Kay gets a goal. Adama Diamande comes off the bench to get a goal. LAFC rolls. 4-1, and it could have been worse. It could have been absolutely worse. Portland did not know what hit him. And Lest you think it was all about the red card, the red card came after it was 4-1. The second yellow for Diego Chara. Four minutes after Carlos Vela put the 4-1 icing on the cake. And Vela really should have had three assists, not just two. They took one away on the Christian Ramirez goal. I still don't know how that's not an assist for Harvey and for Vela. I mean, one of the most bizarre scoring decisions I've ever seen. But I understand they're following the rule. There's something about the defender probably got a piece of that. 
I get it. It kind of negates the, but come on. It all happened within a blink of an eye. Vela should have had three assists. Six shots he took. Diego Rossi had five shots. That's good, even though it didn't, you know, he had three on goal. He made that Nella make some good saves. Didn't score, didn't have an assist, but Rossi was active. The team just looks sharper and farther along than you would give credit to a team this early, or should. And that is a, that is a testament to Bob Bradley on down, that they came into this season hungry and ready to go, right? I mean, it is. The NYFCFC game, again, I'll talk more about the matchup. That's going to be here on ESPN LA. I'll, be ha- I'll have the call on that one. We've already had a great time with those games. My goodness, we're having some fun, right? It always helps when your team's doing some stuff that really matters in the end, you know, with the first game, obviously with the way that happened. And then it helps when your team's scoring goals that you can have good goal calls on, right? So it's all a whole lot of fun so far for everybody involved, including me and uh, Mario and us here at ESPN LA as we're calling the games. But just, I cannot stress enough how impressive Carlos Vela has been since day one. I mean, this thing could have went wrong. Let's just be realistic about that. Any signing like that, with that kind of profile, it could go bad. Just like the Zlatan Ibrahimovic signing could have went wrong for the Galaxy. He had injury concerns. But nothing but fantastic performances after fantastic performance out of Carlos Vela. And just a consummate professional, the teammate, Let's just just expect it to keep rolling and hope it does. Speaking of uh, Zlatan, he missed the game against FC Dallas with an injury. There's some concerns about him. We're reading on uh, social media. By the way, you can follow me there, at Talk Soccer. He doesn't make the trip to Dallas, and FC Dallas makes LA Galaxy pay. It wasn't a particularly close game either. Right? The Galaxy got kind of got their doors blown off. It was a the 2-0 thrashing. <laughs> Reto Ziegler... And then Brian Acosta. And it just didn't, you know, just never felt like the Galaxy were going to be able to do anything about that. Really. They could have played 180 minutes, I think. Efrain Alvarez got robbed. If you've seen, you haven't seen that one, a great save by Jesse Gonzalez. Save was better than Alvarez's move, which was absolutely stunning from the 16-year-old. So that's kind of cool. Would have been better if it hit the back of the net. It would have been... Oh, goal of the year potential if it would have found the back of the net. So the substitute came in and made a difference again. But it was never going to be enough. So the Galaxy lose 2-0. LAFC win 4-1. We will be talking about it more. Keep it right here. I am Dave Denholm. This is Soccer Weekly on ESPN LA 710. Edge of the area, Latif. Outside wide is Vela. Vela, the shot! Into the area, Dio dies and scores! Adama Diamante! 3-1 LAFC! The assist to Carlo Vela! And the 32-52 in all of the bank is rocking now! Oh, what fun times we had at Bank of California Stadium on Sunday. It was the second of two games to start the 2019 season. Yes, that was me on the call right here on ESPN LA. Don't forget, coming up on Sunday again, it'll be NYCFC hosting LAFC in New York. That's 11.30 a.m. for the pregame on the ESPN app. We'll have the kickoff right around noon for that game against NYCFC. And, you know, look, 
NYCFC is a tricky opponent. They've had some issues ever since pa- Patrick Vieira left, a little bit after midway through last season. They have had some issues with Dominic Torrent, their new manager. It hasn't gone swimmingly. But that is a very talented team. A couple of draws to start the season, a couple of uh, games that really haven't gone their way yet. They had a nil-nil, just absolutely awful mess of a game against D.C. United this past weekend. And in fairness, it was really the ref- or the uh, bigger part of the uh, goalkeepers that did that. It wasn't a bad game. It was a bad scoreline, but, I mean, NYCFC was blistering Bill Hamid with shot after shot in that game, and he just would not go away. He stood up firm. Both teams really had good chances, but NYCFC just dominated in terms of shots and, and uh, possession. So it is a team that can do some damage. We saw it. It was a tricky game last season. I think it was a draw at home. And they've got some talent. They lost David Villa. We saw him with Vissel Kobe, but they've signed up that Matriza guy. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing him, the young Romanian, that they paid a fortune for, something like $10 million bucks. I want to see how he adapts overall. But realistically, if we're talking about this game, it's the turf. And I don't mean fake turf. It's the field. It's short, it's tight, and it's not in good shape. Those are the things I'm going to be keeping out for. Usually my keys to the match, if you ever hear me talk with Mark Rogandino or Pablo Alcina in the pregame, it's always a player you got to focus on, or two, or a, a part of the field. Meaning midfielders, maybe a central defenders, the you know attacking wingers. No, this is the field that is going to be a big concern for me. Yankee Stadium looked a mess over the weekend. The pitch. And if we know about LAFC, which we do, is they like to keep the ball moving, and you want it to keep be sharp. Not a lot of that going to be going on on a field that is super tiny and not in good shape, frankly. That's something we have to keep an eye on. It is time to delve a little deeper into LAFC. I've got a, I've got a special little topic here that I can't wait to get to. It's time for the Black and Gold Breakdown. One, two, three, breakdown! It's the Black and Gold Breakdown. Breakdown. Break it down like this! Right now. So for Black and Gold Breakdown, I want to talk about an area that we haven't talked much about this season and really was it, it was the concern coming into the campaign and that is defensively. Now, LAFC has yet to record a shutout. In fact, they've given up early goals in both games, super early to Sporting, but that was the only goal for Sporting. Kind of early for Portland, you know, two-thirds of the way through the first half at the 29th minute mark. That was the only goal for Portland. The Sporting Kansas City one, you can kind of not give them a pass for, but referee Robert Sabiga definitely deserved an assist in that one because he got in the way of the football. It happens. Part of the game. Not going to take the goal away or yell at the referee for it, but it was a factor. The goal against Portland was just a good goal off a free kick and delivered by one of the greats in Diego Valeri right to the head of Jeremy Ibobise, and he didn't miss for his first goal of the season. So, look, Mario and I have always talked about it. You've heard me talk about it on this show. You make your opponents score great goals. 
If your opponent comes out and scores four world-class goals you deserve to lose in all likelihood, and you shake their hands and say, good game. If they score one, you got a shot. You can't give up the garbage goals, the undeserved goals. Make them earn it. So far, so good. And I'm not going to point to one guy as the difference, but I want to focus on this one guy because he's new, and that's Eddie Segura, right? Youngster comes in from Columbia. Big signing in the offseason. Didn't know a lot about him. I'm not going to lie to you and say, oh, I watched all this tape on Eddie Segura before he signed. I knew him for years. Played for Atletico Gila. They did well down there. He was the captain. Guy's 22. Yeah, he's got some leadership. And you can see it on the pitch. He's not tall, 5'9", and yet I haven't seen him lose an aerial battle yet. And certainly hasn't lost one that mattered. For me, he's done very little wrong. He's put very few steps wrong so far. Again, still going to be some learning curve with his teammates. Maybe some growing pains with the league. But this kid looks the real deal. And he has been a big part of helping to stabilize the defense. That at times caused issues for LAFC. Let's face it. That was their Achilles heel sometimes. Everybody would say that, no doubt. And he's not the entire difference. Walker Zimmerman is playing at a high level. Because Walker's just getting better and better. And certainly Jordan Harvey and Stephen Bandishore know what they're doing. They've been around long enough to know. But they're also a big part of the attack. So it really comes down to often... It's Walker Zimmerman, Eddie Segura, and Eduardo Tuesta. They're really tasked, tasked, if you will, with breaking up the def- you know the offense of the other team. Fifty-two goals allowed last season, just a shade over one and a half. That's a lot. Certainly a lot for a team that wants to win MLS Cup. For compare and contrast, not that it's always the the best thing, but Atlanta United gave up forty-four. They won the cup. Red Bulls gave up just 33 goals last year in taking the Supporter Shield. And the winners of the East, or West rather, Sporting, they gave up only 40 goals. Seattle gave up only 37 in finishing second in the West. I mean, LAFC was one of the worst in terms of goals against records in all the playoffs. It's just that their offense was so good. And there were times they were drubbing teams and giving up. It wasn't a bad defensive year for LAFC, but they had to get better. And so far, so good. And a part of that is Eddie Segura. What I like about this kid is he's really smooth. He knows positionally where he needs to be with his teammates. He knows when he has to go out on his own. That is a crucial skill for defenders, isn't it? Like, it is super important to, to defend as a unit. But you've got to know when it's time to do it on your own. Sometimes that's the last line of defense, and other times that's just to make the best defensive play at the time. Not that it's the end of the world if you miss, but sometimes you step up at the right time, all of a sudden your offense is into the attack. We've seen Walker Zimmerman do that plenty this year already. And Segura has that smoothness about him. As I said, he's great in the air. I was worried about that at 5'9", to be honest. When I first heard about the signing, it doesn't matter. 
LAFC and John Thorrington and his scouting, they did their homework. He's strong and rugged in the air. And he's not big. But forget the 5'9". He's not like he's built like a linebacker either. He's smooth. The guy can run. He moves well. He's got good feet. I like his vision. He's not going to go bounding forward, but he's not supposed to on this team, really. And I think he'll pick up a couple of goals on uh, set pieces because of his heading ability. I really do. Now, he and Walker might be splitting those, maybe, that you would have seen Walker Zimmerman get, like, what, four last year? Maybe they both get a couple, but so what? More weapons for the other team to worry about. I like him, and I again, he's been a big factor, a big contributor to what we've seen so far. That is the black and gold breakdown, as defenses have to stay strong. You're going to get broken down at MLS. The league has too many offensive players, but you just got to give up those really good goals, and so far, LAFC has not given up the cheap goal. Utterly crucial to their success. You want to hit me up on Twitter, it's at TalkSoccer. That's where we like, you can follow the show, what's going on. What's, you know, sometimes I have a contest there, by the way. I've been giving away tickets there occasionally. Yeah, at Talk Soccer. Don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review to the podcast, Soccer Weekly, on iTunes or ESPN Pod Center or your podcatcher. Just search Soccer Weekly. Subscribe, rate, and review. It helps. We appreciate that. And we know you listen to the podcast. The thing comes out virtually right after the show is done. I am Dave Denholm. We continue on. Still to come, FIFA has plans for the Club World Cup. And I'm very curious because I like the Club World Cup. That and so much more. we got the LA Care Injury Report and stoppage time later as well. I'm Dave Dunholm. You are listening to the home of world football in Southern California, ESPN LA 710. Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. I am Dave Dunholm hanging out with you, talking the world's game, the beautiful game right here on the home of world football, ESPN LA 710. We've got LAFC at... NYCFC in the Bronx coming up on Sunday, 11.30 for the pregame. Kickoff a little after 12. You'll hear that on the ESPN app. And what a good start for LAFC. Great start to the season. Galaxy hit a bump in the road in Dallas. Zlatan, a little bit of an injury concern, if you will, lately. We'll see how that shakes out with him. Because you just don't know at that age, right? He's a, The guy is tough as nails, make no mistake, but... We'll see how all this kind of shakes down because LA LA Galaxy had some injury concerns last year, no doubt, that hurt them severely. So we'll see what goes on. I mean, Dallas took care of business, and they certainly deserve that win. But you hate to see that stuff going on with the the Achilles injury with Zlatan. And, of course, we got updates earlier. You know, yesterday you hear from Kevin Baxter from the LA Times, who does a great job covering LAFC and the LA Galaxy. And I'm reading a tweet from uh, Baxter on March 12th. He says, Zlatan hasn't trained in a week, and he left Dignity Health Sports Park early. That was yesterday, he says, today in the tweet. And he goes on to say a little bit more there. So, could be issues. Something to keep an eye on. And we'll have more on that in the LA Care Injury Report. That'll be a part of that coming up as well. But FIFA, according to AP, Associated Press had an interesting story that I read about the FIFA wants a 24-team Club World Cup to play in the summer of 2021. So it would be like the year after the World Cup, you know, the, on that schedule, you know, as it goes. 
And it's obviously an expanded 24-team thing. Now it's only like one per kind of region, if you will. You know, of course, as we know, the Mexican team that always wins CONCACAF Champions League goes off to the Club World Cup. It will be up, according to this AP story, it'll be up to the Confederations to decide decide who they send. But in the story, they outlined how it would be 24 teams. UEFA is going to have eight. FIFA originally wanted to have 12, but UEFA's fighting this thing, it seems, tooth and nail to me. But they're worried about the scheduling and the timing and all their, you know, overtaxing their teams. It's always about UEFA. But according to this article, three each from Africa, Asia, and CONCACAF would go, and then one from Oceania, and then South South America would deservedly have six. They probably should have more, but... And you would just get them all together in the Club World Cup. Kind of similar to how the World Cup is done. I think it'll be less games, certainly, because there's obviously less teams involved, but pretty cool idea. I like the Club World Cup as it is, mind you. I'm a guy who either sets my DVR or gets up in the middle of the night to watch them. Everybody tells me how it's worthless, except for I just keep seeing Real Madrid win it and busting their butts to do it when it should be their break in December, right? Or at least a, a not a their break, but should be a more lighthearted time. They go out. Real Madrid has had to earn it the last couple of years. Don't tell me those games didn't matter to them or the teams they were playing against because they had everything they could handle to win it and went out and did it like good teams do. So when people get up in the morning who aren't paying attention, all these soccer pundits here in America who keep telling me, oh, it doesn't matter, so they don't watch. And when people get up in the morning and see, oh, Real Madrid won 2-1 or 1-0, ah, it was probably a cakewalk. No! They've had to work their butts off. I love the FIFA Club World Cup. If this expanding it helps, I'm all for it. Because I want matches that are meaningful between LAFC and Manchester United. Or Man City or Barcelona or Real. You get the point. Or Santos of Brazil. Or River Plate taking on LA Galaxy to see that. I want to see these games. And I want to see them matter. That's what I, that's all I care about, you know? I mean, if it's going to improve the product, that's great. I'm a little concerned that, I don't know, this waters it down. Maybe it's not every year. I don't know. I'd have to see more about it. There's an interesting article. The AP had it. Go search it and try to figure it out or read it for yourself. But I am very curious, and I'll keep my eyes on it. I'll let you know as well. Because I wasn't so sold on the UEFA Nations League or the FIFA with the Nations League for CONCACAF. It's working out. It's good. I say it time and again here. You know, FIFA makes a lot of bad decisions. It gets a lot of grief. Rightfully so. But they make a lot of great decisions. And have done it very well. With a lot of things, including the Nations League. So let's hope that all kind of shakes out. When it comes to the FIFA Club World Cup, without a doubt, that's what I'm looking forward to. And I hope it, again, I hope it doesn't change in terms of the passion that those teams have had going after it. And now i got to turn to CONCACAF Champions League, right? I'm not going to talk about what happened earlier with Monterey and Atlanta 
that just in case you got that DVR, you know, we've, we've been kind of sticking with that. We're not going to, Monterey obviously had a massive lead in the first leg. Not going to tell you what happened just in case you're still driving home and you want to know what to, you know, you want to watch it in its entire, I hate when people ruin stuff for me. Most sports you can't keep the integrity of because just it's the way it is nowadays. Soccer, sometimes you can, right? Except for this show. Since we're the home of world football, you would think I might ruin that for, I'm not going to do that. But I do want to talk about the games that took place yesterday. And in a bigger picture, really. Not even so much about yesterday's games. Because those two series were essentially settled in the first leg. And unfortunately, it didn't go MLS's way in the second leg either. Because both had to go to Mexico. Red Bulls were down 2-0. Going to Santos, good luck. Yeah. Red Bulls got two quick goals. And then in the second half... Santos got four within about eight minutes. <laughs> Say goodnight. Santos is good. They're better than New York Red Bulls. Tigres got by Houston Dynamo over two legs, 3-0. They won 1-0 in Mexico. Good game. Tigres is better than Houston Dynamo. But it's not... Look, here's the thing. We can talk about early part of the year. Anybody remember last year? Yes, Chivas. Yeah, they beat uh, Toronto by accident. Anybody remember who the best team in CONCACAF was last year? Toronto. In terms of the Champions League, they were the best. They got beat by Chivas. They did. I know. But I'm talking who's the best team. Yes, the Mexican teams are better this year, but it's not as though this golf is so massive. It is very difficult for MLS sides because they've only played like one game. So I had a proposal. And I put this out on Twitter. And I want to you know, send it out to you here on Soccer Weekly. Hopefully some of the big shots that listen to the show, which I know you do, welcome. At U.S. Soccer, at MLS, all the way on. You're all listening, I know. Hi, Don. Hopefully you'll take my words seriously, right? Look, here's the bottom line. We keep using it as an excuse. It's early in the season. And it is true. The Mexican League teams are in far better shape. And I'm not talking like body fat or how fast you went. We know what we're talking about. We're talking about soccer skills, you know, the, sh- the mindset, everything. You're, in, you're, you're tighter. You're sharper. Because you've played a lot more if you're a Mexican League team. If you're a Liga Amaki's team going into CONCACAF Champions League, you're just on a better place. MLS still just getting started. So here's my proposal. MLS teams that are in Champions League for the next, you know, for the season upcoming, right? The teams that qualify. There's four of them. Usually, well, I mean, because the Canadian champion is usually an MLS side. So let's presume it is. Let's say there's four MLS teams, maybe five, whatever it is. However many it is, I don't care. Those teams must, not should, not if they can, those teams must be mandated by the league to get together in their preseason. Right? I'm not talking about, ooh, we're going to put together a tough preseason and go play Phoenix Rising. Fine team, but they're not ready for their season yet. They're still in preseason. Or, ooh, we're going to go play some team from Sweden. They're still in their preseason. I mean, these are all fine options to do in the preseason. 
except for if you're trying to get ready for the Champions League. And there is no preseason game that can get you ready for playing Santos Laguna or Tigres, right? There isn't. Unless we put a little something on this thing. So I propose, and I know Don's listening. Don Garber's listening right now. Don, I propose you send those teams, four or whatever number it is, together in preseason and have them beat each other to death in games that matter. Call it a mini tournament, whatever, and put money on the line for the players and for the team. Cash, hard, big money. I know teams get certain benefits, like with you know general allocation money or things like that because of Champions League or whatever. I'm talking no, hard cash right there in that preseason quote-unquote tournament. And they better go at it to get ready. I don't care if they all, if it's everybody plays each other four times over a couple weeks. And the team that wins gets a big pot of money at the end. A pot of gold to split between the players, coaches, whoever. Because there is no excuse. The excuse is we're not really ready physically, mentally, sharpness. Get it there! And playing preseason friendlies against somebody, a other team that's not even as deep into their preseason as you are, don't cut it. Call it something. Televise it. Put it on ESPN+. Plus, Please. Whatever. You know what? If, it, if there's a team in MLS that stadium is available in a, a hot weather, warm weather spot, and they happen to be involved, play it all right there. Who cares if they have the home view? Who cares? But go to Arizona, go to Florida, whatever you got to do. The teams that are in CONCACAF Champions League have to play each other and beat each other to death to get ready. It's the only solution I can see in terms of lifting all boats, high tide, right? Lifts all, you know. Not just one team having success or whatever. But I love CONCACAF Champions League. Oh, those, oh, Santos is so good. Oh, they're so good. I mean, remember, Toluca was in it. They got run over, right? It's about how good you are. It's not necessarily just about where you are in your season either. I mean, Toluca's a mess. But it sure would help. I'm Dave Dethome. Check me out on Twitter, at TalkSoccer. We continue on. Stoppage time still to come in the LA Care Health Report. That and so much more. This is Soccer Weekly, home of world football. In Southern California, it's ESPN LA 710. Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. I am Dave Denholm hanging out with you. Oh, time flies here on the home of world football, doesn't it? We just keep rolling on. Time now for the LA Care Health Report. At LA Care, our mission has always been to provide quality, affordable health care coverage to all Angelinos. For more information, visit LACare.org today. LA Care for all of LA. One thing to keep an eye on, for, of course, for uh, LAFC, Stephen Betashore took that knock, and he had a bit of a head injury issue, concussion issue, where they were concerned about it, at least keeping an eye on for possible concussion. Well, it doesn't look like he's going to make the trip to New York, so it looks like he's going to be out of that game. He was running around at practice, like, jogging a little bit, not you know taking part too much, but good to see that, at least. We'll see how long that is. Uh, Alex, Alejandro Guido still out with the quad strain. 
Andre Horta still questionable. It's going to be just a matter of time there. For LA Galaxy, of course, the big news, Zlatan Ibrahimovic with the Achilles. doesn't look like he's been uh, working out too much, so could still be a little bit there. You have Roman Alessandrini still struggling. Juninho's out. Perry Kitchen is out. LA Galaxy are a bit of a mess when it comes to injuries, so just be alerted there. Also want to take a look at the NYCFC. There's no major injury reports there for New York City. Of course, that's the opponent for LAFC coming up on the weekend. And that game, you can hear it on the ESPN app. Sunday, I'll have the call. 11.30 for the pregame kickoff at 12 o'clock for that one. Time now for Stoppage Time. What time is it? It's Stoppage Time! Yeah, Stoppage Time! Yeah. It's Stoppage Time! Right now! Joining me for Stoppage Time, as he does each and every week, the producer of the show, he's the great host of Stoppage Time, the great Mario Rees. Mario, how are you, buddy? Great, man, great. You were talking about the CCL game, uh, Houston and Tigres. Man, did you see the environment, the stadium? That stadium was rocking. I think that yeah, might tell be. Me the... They don't want to win that thing, huh? Oh man, they were into it. Fireworks <laughs> going off. They were singing the whole time. I mean, uh, LAFC has the best fans in MLS, but in Mexico, I think Tigres might have that right now as we speak. Woo! They are killing it. They over. are on fire. Yeah, yeah. That's a tough team. That's going to be a tough team to beat in that competition. That's for sure. Yes, definitely. All right, so we got UEFA has uh, launched an investigation uh, towards Neymar after his outbursts on social media in regards to VAR. He went wow. off on his social media saying this is a disgrace. Uh, he said four guys who know nothing about football watch a slow motion replay in front of the televisions. It was nothing, he said. How could, uh, how could it be a handball uh, while his hands were turned behind his back? And then he said, go bleep yourselves. So oh, man. UEFA's not happy about that. Uh, they're going to launch an invest- investigation here. We'll see what happens with that. Yeah, well, something tells me if he would have kept it a little cleaner, he might have got away with it, Mario. You know, you can disagree about VAR. I don't like VAR, as we're all well aware, and I agree with Neymar in principle. Mm-hmm. I think he was caught up with the emotion of it, though. Yeah. Obviously, PSG getting knocked out of the Champions League again in the round of 16. Mm-hmm. He thought they had a real shot, and of course he's injured, uh, which is not rare for Neymar. Unfortunately, he's had some injury issues, so he's got to be frustrated. I think it was a lot of frustration there, certainly, right? I mean, that's... Yeah, That's bat- really where it comes down to. I, I don't think they would have made that much of a deal out of it if he just went on tw- Instagram and was like, wow, I don't really agree with VAR. I thought they got this one wrong. Yeah, awful but, you know. choice of words there for Neymar. Yeah. Really I mean, bad. Took it too far. Yeah, I mean, he's just emotional about it, and then you're going to have to pay the price for that, I think. So we'll see We'll see what that where that comes down. But, you know, speaking of paying the price, Mario, I want to end it up on this, with uh, get your opinion on this on stoppage time. Yeah. Diego Chara gets a second yellow, right? And uh, he gets a red card for that. Uh, Roger Espinosa in the first game against LAFC gets a second yellow. Okay, gets the red card. Yeah. They have to miss the next game. Let me ask you, in, in terms of a season, I'm not talking about a World Cup or a short, like a Gold Cup or something where it's only a few games. Mm-hmm. But in terms of a long MLS season, and you're playing teams twice, potentially, why shouldn't Diego Chara miss the next game against LAFC rather ah. than just next week? Yeah, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. You know, because I it's like, with that. and look, I, I, I don't, I'm not even saying that, like, I understand why the rule is. I do. Like, it's not like the worst rule ever that they miss the next week because, you know, you may not play the other team. You might be injured when it comes around. But there are ways around that, too. If Diego Chara, let's say, gets injured right before the next LAFC game, okay, and he hasn't served, then he immediately misses a game when he comes back or he misses the next uh, playoff game or whatever, you know, just to make sure it's on the up and up too. You know, you don't want people faking injuries or things like that. Yeah, it's not about that. 
it should be that if you're gonna if Roger Espinosa is gonna chop down Carlos Vela for twenty minutes or ninety minutes or Mark Anthony K as it were, and you play him again this year, why shouldn't he miss that game instead of just the next game? I yeah, don't know. That's just my thought. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, it does hurt a little bit more when you when you lose the next game that you play against them. You know, the next one again. Uh, yeah, I mean, especially here with this I situation would, with Chara, it came at the very, very end of the match, pretty much when uh, he yeah. got his second yellow. You know, so it's like it doesn't and, really you know, affect. And look, don't tell me these guys don't know who they're playing next. Sometimes, you know, there might be some of that where oh, we're taking on a team that we're not right. either. You know, we're not that worried about. If you know you're going to have to miss the next LAFC matchup, well, then that's going to be tougher, right? I mean, right. it's just uh, you, you might think twice about doing this stuff. That's all. Good stuff, man. We went a little long. Mario, thanks so much. The great host of Stoppage Time. I am Dave Home. Check out the podcast on ESPN's Pod Center or at iTunes. Just search for Soccer Weekly. Hit me up on Twitter, at Talk Soccer. Give me your thoughts there on the podcast and on the show itself. Dave Down Home and you hanging out in the home, on the home of world football in Southern California. Soccer Weekly on ESPN LA 710.